Welcome to another episode of Conversations Different, a podcast from the Santa Fe, New Mexican, featuring discussions with the interesting people of Santa Fe and Northern New Mexico. I'm Inez Russell Gomez, editorial page editor for the New Mexican. And part of my job is making sure we have conversations on our page that are civil, compelling, and solutions-based. Today's podcast guest shares those characteristics. With us is Ferdy Sarum, who founded a group called New Mexico Faces, designed to further digital equity across our state. Ferdy, let's have a few definitions. What does FACES stand for? And in your own words, what is digital equity? Well, thank you. We're happy to do that. FACES is an acronym that stands for Family and Community Engagement Solutions. Because when we were starting our work, we found that so many people were trying to do good things, even providing more money than they ever could, and we could not get people to take them up on the offer. Uh, money was being left on the table, and when we analyzed it, the root cause was a lack of engagement. So we began to try to solve for that, and we found that the family is the solution, not the problem. Um, as far as digital equity is concerned, you get different answers depending on who you ask, but the common sense answer is that you should have not only access to everything digital, but that access also means understanding how to use it. It means having the literacy levels to use it, the background experience, collaboration, all of these things that we call opportunities to learn. And of the opportunities to learn, only one of them requires technology. All of the rest of them are behavioral. So as we work with families, uh, we're really trying to get them to see the three big things that digital should do. It should improve people's health, and their well-being, their family safety. It should improve their employment because you can't really have good health and safety and well-being if you don't have housing or food. And in order to be able to do that, it should make you an empowered learner, someone who really understands how to use the technology and the networks of people to do things that haven't been done before, especially the types of problems we're trying to solve. So in, in a lot of ways, this is about making people active consumers of technology instead of passively playing games on their phone or scrolling through a social media account. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the contradiction is that uh, when the technology first started coming out, I've been involved with it since before the Internet had pictures. And many of us in those early days were thinking this is going to be the solution for freedom, for liberty, for education for all of these wonderful things. And yet, uh, what ended up happening was completely different. And the um, psychological impact of the addictive behaviors that happen from the dopamine, from the hits that we get, all of this has been really well researched that if you're not sure what's being done or how it's being done, as they say, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. Your data is the product. So we think that I guess the metaphor I use, I like hot sauce, but I don't put a straw in it. And so the, the right mix of the technology should allow us to do things we can't do in real life, but it should never take the place of what we can do in real life. And part of what it seems like you guys are trying to do is bring families together to use that technology so parents are learning with their kids but also teaching their kids, and together they're expanding what's possible. Exactly, exactly. The problem that we have, which got a whole lot worse during the pandemic, it was revealed during the pandemic, is basically a loss of connection. And when we have things that are very structured and very siloed, this is my job, this is my swim lane, don't tell me what to do, et cetera, et cetera, it becomes very difficult 
to solve the types of problems that families face. So we found that listening to the families, what they cared about most was that health and well-being of their of their extended families. But they also knew that the stories, the language, the songs, um, especially in Native culture and in some of the rural culture, as that disappears, it can't come back. And so that surprised us in terms of how strong the idea of saving the dichos of northern New Mexico or getting the stories of the animal families, all of these things really were like the glue and the arts is that glue that can connect the families and have them end the isolation and begin to replace the fear with hope. Um, talk about when you started the program. It, there was up in Taos County. Mm -hmm. And what did you guys do there? We were working for the public education department on the Yazi Martinez lawsuit response. And during that time, we knew that um, the schools had done a lot to give every kid a computer and to try to give them hotspots and other things that they would need, but it still wasn't exactly working the way that uh, that people had hoped. So in our working up in Taos, we were working with my dear friend, Dr. Gladys Herrera-Gurule, who had been the bilingual director at PED for years and then went up to Taos to do family and community engagement. And I remembered during the pandemic, almost every day on Facebook, I would see that she had some library reading Kids reading, uh, people reading books to kids. She was doing these drive-throughs where they would distribute food, they would distribute medical supplies. They they just really reached out and understood and met the families as they say where they are. We wanted to leverage that in terms of introducing this technology into those schools. And surprisingly, our first almost year of working with it, it didn't really work. People were not interested. It was only when we began working with the La Tormenta de Taos, that play that the, that the kids did and the visiting artists did, that the families really began getting engaged in what we were doing, and we stumbled into our secret sauce, I guess. And that was a mix of family, art, and the technology. Absolutely. Uh, there were 17 different artists working there. They've done that for many years, for 17 years. Taos actually got the first and only time a school district has been awarded the Max Cole Award for Innovative Programming because it was an entire team and community of people that were doing it. So um, the, the Taos folks really understand community schools. They understand the language and culture of Taos Pueblo. They've begun revitalizing that language. You can actually now learn uh, Tewa in the schools, which didn't used to be possible. Um, so there's a big shift happening right now, and we think that the relationships are the primary thing. The technology can amplify those relationships if it's done in a healthy way. That's, that's fascinating. Just a, a point of explanation, Yazi Martinez is the lawsuit that was filed by individuals on behalf of their children because they basically claimed that New Mexico was not providing a constitutionally adequate education to certain people. And the district judge agreed the state didn't contest it. And now there is a lot of money spent trying to basically catch people up from where they were left behind. And and another, just a Tiwa in Taos Pueblo and then Tewa in the Rio Grande Pueblos, Karasan at Santa Domingo, uh, lots of many native languages across this country. We will be back shortly with more about this project that is combining technology, art, and families.
Thanks, Inez. This is Patrick Dorsey, publisher of the Santa Fe New Mexican. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Conversations Different with Inez Russell Gomez. Great local content is only possible with a talented staff dedicated to bringing you the best local content possible. For that staff to do its work, we need your support by subscribing to the Santa Fe New Mexican. If you're already a subscriber, thank you. And if not, there's never been a better time to subscribe. In addition to our home-delivered newspaper that comes with full digital access, we also provide digital-only subscriptions for SantaFeNewMexican.com. We'll also be releasing more online-only audio and video programming moving forward. The Santa Fe New Mexican has been here for nearly 175 years, and we want to continue being your source for local news and information. Visit us at SantaFeNewMexican.com slash subscribe or call us at 505-986-3010. Thank you. It's a new day in New Mexico, and the doors to boundless opportunity are open as tens of thousands of New Mexicans reach higher to pursue a dream, broaden their horizons, and retrain for a better job. With the New Mexico Lottery and Opportunity Scholarships, you could build yourself a better future anywhere in the state. You put in the hard work, we'll help with the costs. For eligibility details, visit reachhirenm.com. We're back with Ferdy Sarum. He and New Mexico Faces is taking on the task of bringing digital equity to families across the state. So you start in Taos and now you're expanding. Talk about what happened across parts of New Mexico. Sure. Well, we were fortunate to be asked to assist the Early Childhood Education and Care Department, ECECD, with a project that they were doing around broadband and digital equity with the higher ed department and the public education department. And our particular focus was to work with the areas uh, that have early childhood centers and home providers in the three northwestern counties that are predominantly where Navajo people live. So up in San Juan County, McKinley County, and Cibola County. And there are 239 of these centers there. 43 of them have maybe 20, 50, 60, 100 kids. The remainder of them are individual households that might have five or six kids. And so as we began talking with them, we found that the amount of support they have and compared to the amount of support they might need is uh, very difficult and that in those particular areas, it shouldn't be a surprise to many people that there isn't a lot of internet available. If you live right in town in Farmington, no problem, you can get it. But just a short period away uh, your phone doesn't work, your GPS doesn't work. And so if we're going to have improved health, you have to have that access. If we're going to have improved learning, you have to have that access. So we began working with these centers and listening to what their needs were. And fortunately, we had some budget that if they described what they needed, we could buy it for them. So we went through that process and we came up with the orders of everything that they're going to do. And we set out to do this tour, which we're calling the Digital Equity Tour for Early Learning. We went to those places and we showed them what are the things they could be doing with their students that are beneficial as opposed to the things that could be negative. Um, we know if you have a kid using a, a smartphone as an electronic babysitter. We go into restaurants all the time and you see the same number of seats 
everyone is looking at their phone. No one is talking to each other. Which is a blessing, I think. But I know that's the wrong way to look at it. <laughs> well, it all depends on what it's taking the place of. Yeah. And so what we're saying, there are really two important ways that every family can assist their kids. The first one being co-viewing, the idea of the parent and the kid looking at something together and then doing something about it, talking about it, discussing it, going out and doing things, learning to play a game. We have certain activities that we have designed for these families, which I can go into a little more. Mm -hmm. um, but they're basically participatory things. The second piece that's most important is they should be making something. Active use of the technology is where the benefit comes. Simply watching TV uh, is a deadening kind of experience. You don't start out, you don't end up with any more than what you started out with. Well, unless you're watching Res Dogs, then, yes. you, then you come out pretty pretty happy on the other end. But Absolutely. no, I see what you're saying. It, it's more than just sitting and scrolling through Instagram. Yeah. You're, you're, what, what do you come up with? What do they make? Well, the two, my two favorite examples of this was uh, the first early childhood things that were created were done by five-year-olds. And the early childhood educator that we were working with, we, she went through a six-week cl uh, class that we offer, which we're still offering, about making family recipes um, into story maps. And so this uh, teacher had learned how to do it. She recruited a few other families and said, here's what you need to do. Pick a recipe from your family history and have your kids make it. Take pictures with your phone, take videos with your phone, and then just send me all the information. And the first two that were created, the first one was by a five-year-old girl who made her grandma's tamale recipes. Nice. And you can see her working on the stove with an open flame with the supervision of the parent. Mm -hmm. But it was a learning thing. She's doing all the measuring. She's doing all of the calculations for what needed to be done and also weaving in the story of her grandma. The second one that was done was by a five-year-old boy who wanted to learn how to make Rice Krispie treats. You know what I love about this is it also is valuing the knowledge that people have in their homes. It's not like when we went to school in the 1960s uh, in northern New Mexico where they were trying to make you more American and where you were discouraged from speaking Spanish at school and, and where it was nice that your grandma made tortillas, but really you wanted white bread sandwiches kind of thing. This is valuing the family knowledge in a way that teaches them the technology, but also teaches them to honor their, not, their own culture and their inheritance. You're not ashamed of it anymore. You're like, look at me, I know how to make tamales. Well, I think you've, you've hit on something that is so important. Our economy in New Mexico is an extractive economy. Most of the money that we live off of was created millions of years ago, and it pulled out of the ground, and then when it's gone, it's gone, and that's it. And that's infiltrated how we think about learning. We think about there's smart people out there. We can draw them into the economy, and they'll be the high earners, and the rest of them that have gone through school without gaining literacy or numeracy We've kind of written them off and we've said, you know, too bad for you. Great. New Mexico as a, as a barter economy, you know, for hundreds of years we've been able to get by. But as far as you having access to the greatest things in the world, not so much. You know, it's like we've trained people that there's something wrong with them if they didn't learn the way the school thought was the way to learn. What we're thinking now, and this gets back to the native idea in the Yasi Martinez, 
The traditional way of teaching is a linear way. We start with a lesson, we do the homework, we do the test, rinse and repeat, and that's it. Even though it doesn't stick with people, that's what we're used to doing. We're looking at a cyclical model that is more like what the Native communities are telling us they do. And when they've measured students and they've looked at their psychological results that they get, um, because many of these languages were not written, The processing of written language is weak, but the visual spatial for people who used to have to go out and survive in the world and understand what was going on in the world is off the charts. Their visual spatial problem-solving abilities tie directly into the geographic information systems that we're teaching them how to do, where they could make a boatload of money using the things that are already native to their way of thinking and experiencing the world. So... We think that we're discovering things that are going to be useful to people who want to see better outcomes in New Mexico. Well, and it it gets to the whole idea that those tests, the standardized tests that were always on the bottom up, that it measures your abilities, which I would argue it it doesn't in many cases. But we learn differently. We learn by doing, we learn by watching, and we don't learn by sitting in a chair and listening to the expert talk to us. And I think if we can change how we teach and how we learn in our schools, probably those test outcomes are going to change as well. Well, you've hit exactly on our theory of action. Our theory of action is that uh, the British used to say this when No Child Left Behind first came in, and they say, well, you don't weigh the pig 50 times, you know, you feed the pig if you want it to get bigger and stronger. And what we're finding is that the evidence of what it looks like when people are reaching high performance will change the performance. So what we're doing is we're capturing what are the best stories that have been told? What are the best portrayals of history that have been told? How does all of this come together? How do we draw upon intergenerational wisdom to solve the problems that can't be solved in the traditional way? And that is, I think, going to really put the other folks on their back heels because you can't argue with success. When you see somebody who has put in the time to put in a high level of performance and they've done it, the only question is, how did they do it? It's not like, well, that's not really so great. No, it actually is so great, but they're doing things that other people haven't done and we can replicate that. That's pretty amazing. We will uh, take a break real quickly and we'll be back again with Ferdy. My name is Maria Jose Rodriguez Cadiz, and I am the Executive Director with Solace Sexual Assault Services. Our mission is to prevent sexual violence and empower survivors of sexual violence through restoring dignity, strength, and resiliency. For almost 51 years, Solace has reduced the impact of sexual violence. We do it by focusing on human rights, social justice, hope, and dignity. We believe survivors are experts in their own experiences and acknowledge that empowering them is crucial to their healing. Our advocacy, forensic interviewing, and therapy services are centered to their needs. Our sexual violence prevention programs in schools and community is just as important. Please check our website at findsolace.org. And if in need, you can call our 24-7 hotline, which is 800-721-7233. 
1-800-273-8873. Your support is crucial to the lives of survivors. Thank you. Gracias. We are back with Ferdy talking about the idea of digital equity and learning, especially focused at younger learners. So I'm going to ask you a question that some of my friends always bring up is kids shouldn't be playing on devices anyway. They should be, you know, making mud pies or finger painting. So when is technology the right fit and how do we know whether we're bringing too much into their young lives? It's a question of judgment, obviously, and the other piece is that uh, we all have different mixes of our characteristics. So this whole idea of equity is about people getting what they need, and that may be different for different people. So the kids should be playing outside. They should be interacting with each other. Those interpersonal relationships are absolutely essential. But some of the time, they can be interacting with family members who may be quite distant. And so maintaining those bonds, uh, the intergenerational ones of family members who live across the sea. Our daughter is from Thailand, so uh, we have a good connection with uh, culture that we would have never known anything about. In my own history, being Turkish, it's uh, people say your name is different. I go, oh, you know Turkish? Because that's what my mean name means in Turkish is different. Oh, nice. So go figure. But I think the main thing is the balance. And so if you're overly doing anything, that can be counterproductive. Um, I like practicing music. And if I got a MacArthur grant, I would practice music eight hours a day because it allows me to do things that I couldn't do before. For me, it, that's a sense of freedom. For somebody else, that discipline could be a sense of torture. <laughs> so it really is about having finding a balance. I think that we know that people should be outside a certain amount of time every day. We know that people should not be sitting in front of their computer for more than an hour a day uh, at a time without going up and doing something else. And the main idea is, are you sharing what you've created with other people and getting feedback from them? Yeah. Uh, as a creator, that's where the real power of the technology comes in. Right. And I think when you're talking about using technology in traditional communities such as we have in New Mexico, whether it's indigenous or Hispano or any of the people who've been here, you know, for more than a dozen years or 20 years or 100 years, uh, you're using the modern world to save something that could be that's very old and could be lost otherwise. Exactly, exactly. And this is where the resonance has come. So as we were doing the La Tormenta de Taos, in that play, every main character, uh, there were four generations in the family. So for the kid to be a star in that thing, the grandma had to be involved, the grandpa had to be involved, the mother, the father had to be involved, extended family had to be involved, because it was really embodying this animal family idea. And the types of feedback that came from people saying, well, yes, this is important because now we're able to continue uh, the, the generation may have skipped of where these stories went, but when grandma is telling the youngest kid that story and the teenagers recording it on their phone and putting it in a story map, you can leverage all of the strengths that the family has. That's right. And talk about what a story map is. As I understand it, it's a lot of pieces that you put together. So then you go through the story kind of step by step with audio, visual, mm -hmm. 
etc. And of course, words, which are the most important part. So I would say that if you've ever seen a, uh, a, a webinar or you've been in a room where someone's showing a PowerPoint and they're describing whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's not as effective if they're reading every word that's on the screen. It's effective if there's a blend of images and text. It's effective if there's audio. It's effective if there's video. And the story maps are, are something that happens online. They're, they're, they happen on a server. The Esri software does this all over the world. And you can make it in any language. You can make it in any, any modality that you want to. Plus, you can have maps on there that are centering on the location of where these things happened and when they happened, like a timeline. So it's a very rich form of media that people can learn to make in about two hours. When we do these workshops, John Ruggiero does a workshop for two hours. At the end of that time, people have seen what they need to do. For the rest of the week, they work on it a little bit. By the end of that week, they've made their first story map. Wow. It's teaching them geography as well, if Mm -hmm. you're a kid. So there's a lot of layers to this. Yeah. And this is a heartbreaking thing. This software has been available for free to every student since 2015, and hardly anyone is using it because people don't have the time to learn how to use it. And the funding has not been provided to train teachers or pay teachers to learn how to do it. So a small handful of people are doing really great stuff with it. But the number could be vastly expanded. So we're now working. If you're a parent, you can't get the software for free. So we're working now to get the relationships between higher education and K-12 and make it so that family members could get this software and be able to do just what the kids and the teachers can already do. If someone is curious about looking at some of these story maps, where can they do that? They go right to our NM Faces page. We have a gallery of all of those things that you can go see. And I think we've got the link ready to tell people at the end, but it's basically bit.ly slash NM Faces, and they will get right in there and see everything that we've got and learn how to get involved. Um, Talk a little bit more about the tour that finished. I think people should know the caliber of talent that you have involved in this. Well, we have such blessings in New Mexico. Really, I think we're one of the richest places on earth, uh, especially if you're looking at it from a spiritual context and the beauty of the land and the stories of the land, our connection with the land, the assets that we have um, are second to none. And so we were very fortunate because we started out in Taos. We fell immediately into a family of 17 different visiting artists, and they ended up participating with us. I got to meet Melanie Schultz last year at the International Folk Art Market, and we became collaborators, and she worked with me on my music, so that when we launched the Taos Fandango in December of last year, she performed with us. So she came in. She's also done visual arts workshops for us because she teaches online at 92nd Street Y. We had Bob Beck as our percussionist who came in. My neighbor, Robert Muller, not the same Robert Muller that we thought about with the trials and all like that, Mm -hmm. but Robert Muller is this amazing keyboardist who happens to be the keyboardist for Delbert Anderson. So as this all started happening and we began working in the northwest corner of the state, um, right at the time that I had my hand surgery back in March was the first time that Delbert came here. And I literally went from the surgeon with my hands in in the wrapped up, you know, type of situation to go hear his gig. And I said, Delbert, we've got to do something. We're, We're working on this in Taos. You're working on this in Farmington. We're doing the same type of work. And 
things just conspired to allow us to do this a couple of weeks ago. So Delbert actually got us our opening at the IAIA where we had Melanie perform. We had Amber perform, who had danced with us up in Taos. Um, it is just amazing. The It is amazing and it's not amazing. Okay, so what is amazing? It seems like a miracle when people who've never met can get up and perform at a world-class level. And what makes it less of a miracle is that there is a tradition that all of us know. We have all spent the time understanding who our musical ancestors were and what their contributions were. And so we, when we say the name Monk or we say the name Diz or we say the name Ella or we say the name Billy, these, their music is alive in us that we can draw upon on the bandstand in the instant to create something that has never happened before. And the musicians that are part of our band, now that we're calling it the Faces Band, the Hand Band, if you will, um, they are all adept at improvisation at this level, and they're all focused at using this improvisation to revitalize the South African culture, to revitalize the Navajo culture, to revitalize our main culture here. If we're going to survive, we have to draw on all of this wisdom and apply it today. And Delbert, I guess, is a trumpet player, yes. Danae, and, and known all over the country and the world, really. And we get to hear him right here in Santa Fe when he comes. And then now with your tour, the kids got to hear him in the other parts of the state. Yeah. And, and the beautiful thing, the very first time I performed up there was at a work at a uh, festival that Delbert had organized. Nice. He was the keynote. He was the headliner that night. The band before him was his student band. And we played before them. We played before anything. Well, two of his students from the student band were playing my music. Oh, wow. And so the first kids who ever learned to play my music are students of Delbert's. And they're going to be join they they are joining us in everything that we do. So right. as we bring the music to a community, we say to them, the music has been designed to be easy to learn to play. I designed every single part so that there's five notes. If you can play those five notes, you can solo on these tunes, and I tell you what the notes are, and I bring the people in to do it. The kids can work on that. There's another use of your technology. They could record themselves on their phone playing one of my tunes, send me that thing. I listen to it, and I say, yep, we're playing next Tuesday. Come on down. We'll make sure you play on that tune. Nice. So just to wrap up, um, what's next for your group and, and for technology and digital equity? Well, we are poised to help the state really do this digital equity thing right. The adoption of this, as you mentioned, everyone's thinking about computers and bandwidth, and that's the easy thing to solve. Even though we haven't solved it in 24 years, that's still the easy thing to solve. Along with that, you need the human support. You need the literacy skills to be able to understand what you're seeing on the screen, the reasoning skills to be able to know whether what you're being told is true or not, whether your safety is uh, your personal information, all that stuff. And then finally, the third part is you need the technical support. When you encounter something that you've never seen before, someone should be able to show you how to do it. And so we're doing peer coaching. What we're What's next for us is to take what we've learned in the data casting in Taos and what we've learned in Indian country on the early childhood, and now expand this across the state to every region of the state. Anybody who has early childhood, there are people, because any member of the family that we're touching 
can work on any of our parts of the program. Right. And everyone can become a teacher and a learner at yes. the same time. Well, thank you so much, Ferdy. I appreciate your time. And this has been a fascinating conversation, which is the whole point of this podcast. Well, and bless you for doing this work, too, because if people don't get to know about these opportunities, they're going to lay fallow. So thank you for the awareness that you're bringing to our communities. You're welcome. We will be back again with another edition of Conversations Different. As we leave you, listen and enjoy some of Ferdy's own music. Thank you for joining us. 